What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's RBC Canadian Open. It is going to be a sprint. The next couple of weeks are going to be crazy. Not only do we have this event, but the Live Golf event is teeing off for the first time on Friday. That's a three-round event, so we're going to have some players out there. And then you know how this works the week before a major championship the U.S. Open conversation is going to creep into this week, and I'll be at Brookline. I'm very excited to get out, get out there, see everybody, see a major championship. It's going to be a ton of fun. Hopefully, lots of great stuff coming for you on the channel, so please subscribe, like this video. We're closing in on like 20,000 subscribers, which is mind-boggling mind to me that we ever got to this point, so I appreciate it. Join the movement. Let's do it. Um, let's talk through... This week, this week's course, because remember, we have not played this event since 2019. Two years we missed. We missed 2020, we missed 2021, COVID, and then the impending uh, travel restrictions, but we are back in Canada. We're going to St. George's Golf and Country Club. Let's take a little bit of a deeper look at the golf course. So... I don't have a key stats page for this week, which should be obvious, right? The last time we played here was in 2010. Since then, every green has been redone. There's There's been work done to this place. So even if I wanted to go back and use the 2010 data, which I don't, I don't want to use dozen-year-old data, uh, it probably wouldn't even be good anymore. So let's take a look at this like it's a course we've we've never seen. So St. George's, um, it's, a, it's a Stanley Thompson design. It has been, uh, the, the greens were redone by uh, Tom Doak a couple of years ago. And what you're looking at right now is the official scorecard for this week. And when you look at this, it's a little bit strange. And I kind of covered this a bit on the, uh, the early fun tournament preview that I did uh, over the weekend um, for, for this event. But it's a, it's a par 70, only 7,014 yards. So you're like, okay, that's kind of short. More on that in a second. And then you realize, well, wait a minute. One, two, three, four, five. There's five par threes on this course. There's three par fives. That's how they get to 70. You go out in 34, in in 36. And then you start looking at some of the yardages and you're like, okay, well, the, the five threes, uh, four of them are over 200 yards. One of them is 146. And then the par fives, three of them, all between 528, very short, and 560, still pretty short. So it's kind of bizarre. I, I think the fours are going to create a situation where you're still hitting long iron into them. I, I don't think this is necessarily like a driver wedge course. And when you start looking at the elevation and the undulation um, from the pictures and from, the, for some, from some of the flyovers and things like that, I, I, I think this is going to play longer than 7,000 yards suggests it does. That doesn't mean the short hitters are out of it um, because accuracy, I believe, is going to be pretty critical. I just think that this is not necessarily as short as it appears with kind of the layout and what I would, would, would expect to come out of it. And we can just look at some of the photos here. And, and what you'll notice, I mean, this looks, this looks rather lush, right? So you've got these tree-lined fairways, right? Basically, everything around uh, this golf course is fairly tree-lined. The other thing you'll notice is that all of these greens 
are very well protected by bunkers, especially the par threes. Look at this par three, the six. One, uh, you know, it's hard to count, but it looks like one, two, three, four-ish, maybe five separate bunkers. Every every corner of these greens protected by bunkers. Same thing here on number eight. It was the same thing up on, on number four, what we saw earlier. Just very well protected. So I think if you are going to miss some of these greens, which are very small, 4,000 square feet on average, which makes them some of the smallest that we have on the PGA Tour, you're going to be playing out of the bunkers a lot. Um, so so this is not only this week, but next week, the U.S. Open, Brookline, we're, we're in a run of small greens. 4,000 square feet on average is tiny. I think Pebble Beach is 3,600. Let me confirm that. Pebble Beach is 3,500 square feet on average, which are the smallest that we have. So you're talking about 4,000 square feet, very, very small. The tour average is like 6,000. And then we're going to go to Brookline, and Brookline's going to be just microscopic greens as well. So get used to these small greens. You're going to see them a lot. So when I start looking through the photos, when I start reading the reviews, when I start reading what the goal was for um, the, the redesign and the the original architecture, you're going to want to play out of the fairway. The, the rough... Three and a half, four inches is kind of what we're looking at. Kentucky bluegrass and being able to hit these small greens is going to be key. I also think this is going to look great on television, by the way. Um, there are some, there is some visual, um, what's warfare, visual warfare from Stanley Thompson here. I mean, there are some shots and a couple, uh, one of the par fives, let's see if I can find it where, you know, even like the layup is kind of hard and you're going to have to lay up. Everybody's going to have to lay up. It's going to be hard to go for it. I mean, it's just like a very strategic golf course. I, I don't know if it's going to show well on television, but I'm really excited to see St. George's. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be splendid. So, uh, just to recap playing out of the fairway, Certainly going to be handy. I think uh, guys that play well on small greens, which we can look at in a second, or guys that are able to hit their irons uh, very well, small proximity guys, or having kind of a really strong short game, specifically in the bunkers, I think is going to be critical this week. Um, these guys are really good, so I imagine they're going to shoot probably 15 to 20 under par, but I don't think this gets too outrageous, especially because it's a par 70, um, but the fives are kind of gettable, but the threes might be hard. This is, I, I'm fascinated by this. I, I think it's going to be really, really fun. Let's, um, let's take a turn and dive into the cheat sheet here. All right. The cheat sheet along with, uh, everything else you see is available on my website, rickrungood.com. Check it out. Uh, because I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six golfers, 10K or more. Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Cam Smith, Shane Lowry, Sam Burns. Okay, uh, a lot to look through here. Um, talked about for the last couple of weeks that Scotty Scheffler, you know, that one bad start at the PGA Championship was was fine. And then, of course, he goes on uh, to finish runner-up in a, in a playoff. So I, I think being... Even to the field on Scotty has been a relatively awesome game plan uh, for the last four months. He's just been he's been great. There's no reason to to not to think that's not going to continue. I think he's fairly priced. I don't think I really have a hot take on him. Uh, Justin Thomas coming off the miscut right after the PGA Championship victory again, kind of fine. Um, the bottom of this range is a little a little bit more intriguing because I think there's some interesting value here. So let me point out a couple of things. Then you guys obviously can decide how you want to spend your own money here. But Sam Burns is $10,000. Um, you know, if you've been watching along, uh, you know, I'm such a big fan 
of of Sam Burns, and I, I believe that he has um, all of the makings of a modern PGA Tour winner. You know, we talked about that a lot. I did a 300 yards to unknown episode that looked deep into kind of the types of golfers that win a lot. And one of the main profiles was be really good on approach, be a really good putter, because when those two things combine, you win. Uh, and Sam Burns has, has proven that. What I also like about Sam Burns, and I've had you know interactions with him, I've had him on the First Cut podcast, very low-key even keel guy, not going to get up too up from a victory, not going to get too down from a missed cut. And you can kind of see this. So look at his last couple of wins, the start immediately after. So he wins the Sanderson farms, finishes T 14 at the Shriners. The only thing he did wrong there was putt poorly. The rest of his game was awesome. Remember that Valspar victory. And then he almost followed it up with a win the very next week or, or his very next start. Excuse me. It was two weeks later at the AT&T, uh, Byron Nelson. And then, uh, his first, First win, which I've got to go a little bit further back for, but not that far. Or wait, did I miss one? One, two. Oh, sorry. His his most recent win, or no, it's uh, two wins ago. Valspar, when he defended, he went and then missed the cut at the Masters. So I don't know what you want to do with that. You know, he had struggled at major championships. Um, basically, that that twentieth PGA Championship a couple weeks ago was his best major championship start, I believe, of his career. So. He generally plays well and can contend immediately after a win. So I don't have any concerns there. And then, you know, you start to look at the the course breakdown, um, the the four long par threes. Well, that is uh, an area of, the, of, of Sam Burns' game where he ranks very highly on the PGA Tour. Those shorter par fives, that's actually another area of the game that Sam Burns really, uh, really plays well on. So I think we have a situation where, You've got the cheapest guy in the $10,000 range whom people might say, ah, you know, he just won. He's not going to compete again. He's not going to contend again. And it's unlikely that he wins again. But does he have a good week? I think he could have a really good week just with the way that everything is setting up. Finally, happy to see Shane Lowry getting a little bit of love here. So if you go to the uh, the power rankings, last 50 rounds of every golfer in this field, uh, Shane Lowry is number one. He's getting 2.1 strokes to the field. It's better than Scotty Scheffler. Now, I will note, not all of those rounds in the last 50 are, uh, are PGA Tour rounds for Shane Lowry. So he's got a little bit of a smaller sample size, but you, you can see where I'm going with this. He's just been absolutely phenomenal. And when you start to compare him against the rest of the $10,000 range, well, what does he do well? Uh, he hits more fairways than everybody else in this 10K range. In fact, he hits more fairways than everybody anybody else priced $8,300 and up. He is not long off the tee, but he's not short either. He gains a yard per round uh, or per drive, basically, on average uh, to the rest of the field, depending on where he's playing. That's all, that's all uh, leveled out. So he is technically longer than the field average. And he is more accurate than anybody else besides Brendan Todd, $8,300 and, and, $8, and above, which I think is going to be a really good combination. Um, I actually like him a lot for the US Open as well, because there's a lot of creative, tricky spots around the greens. This is going to be uh, really reliant on kind of the sand play, the around the green play. I know he's, he's played well at this event before, but it doesn't really matter because it wasn't at this golf course, but maybe some good vibes going back to Canada. So, so already I'm like, wow, the, the bottom of this 10 K range, when you start to factor in 
maybe what the perception is going to be. I think a lot of people are going to go get Scotty, go get Rory, go get JT. Maybe the 10K range is where we kind of want to focus our attention, or the bottom of the 10K range is kind of where we want to focus our attention. The $9,000 range is fun. Um, let me deep dive Matt Fitzpatrick for a second. He's $9,900, and I know what everybody's thinking. Oh my God, Ricky just burned everybody last week. Um, and he sure did with a missed cut. But let me also show you this. This is the live leaderboard. So this updates during action. I'm just going to sort this all four rounds by, I think it's the ball striking categories that I want here. Yeah. Okay. Matt Fitzpatrick is here. He gained 4.6 strokes in the ball striking categories. That's off the T plus approach last week. He missed the cut. That's a counting stat, right? So when you look at totals, he missed the cut and he was like 17th in, in ball striking, which is which is crazy. So so what went wrong? Well, this. He lost seven and a half strokes with the putter, which is, uh, I'm sure, the worst in the field last week. Well, maybe not. Brandon Wu lost 9.7, but Brandon Wu played two more rounds. So Brandon Wu putted poorly for four rounds. Matt Fitzpatrick only putted poorly for two. Is that a concern? I'd argue not that much. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick has a very, very bizarre history at the Memorial. Um, if you look up his two worst putting performances ever, they both come at Muirfield Village. He lost seven and a half strokes last week. That was by that was his worst putting performance ever. Uh, he lost six point two in twenty nineteen at Muirfield Village. His next worst is 3.2 strokes gain loss. So you're telling me a guy who loses at his worst two strokes per tournament or three strokes per tournament with the putting uh, with the putter loses six and seven and a half at the same course. Something is going on there. Now, what's also even more weird is if this couldn't get any more bizarre, he also gained like eight strokes one year. Yeah, 2020, he gained eight strokes putting at Mirfield Village. This is a very bizarre set of results. I can't imagine there are a lot of guys with um, two sets of results that are like 15 strokes apart in the putting category. So I'm willing to chalk it up and say Matt Fitzpatrick lost a ton of strokes putting at a place that he has all, has done that before. And maybe it's not a particularly great spot for him and when he gets on the wrong side of it. So I'm willing to kind of forgive quickly here based on all the other stuff that I saw. I wish he was a little bit cheaper. 9,900 feels feels quite strong, but he's been kind of a top 10 machine. And then this field does start to weaken quite quickly after you get to maybe, I don't know, Terrell Hatton at 9,500. I think there's kind of a bigger drop off here. The, the guy that, that really worries me and I love HV3, and I was a, a big-time investor at the Charles Schwab Challenge when he was 50-1 to 1 and you know leading on the back nine. The problem with Varner, there's a lot of problems. Um, but the, the big one is, can you trust him on a Sunday, right? I mean, this is, and, and it's not, the, the elephant in the room is that he has not only just not won, but he has ejected from tournaments. And when you go, you know, it would have been one thing if he did what Davis Riley did at the Charles Schwab challenge, which was lead the event, make a couple of sloppy bogeys and then finish T4, T7 or whatever he did. It was lead the event, make a couple sloppy bogeys, make a triple, make a double, finish 27th. And and that's not like that rare. It's a small sample size, but that that worries me and at 9700 bucks, man, it's kind of a big ask. I hope he pulls one off. I'd be thrilled if he does. But man, that's a big ass. Uh, Corey Connors is next, ninety six hundred bucks. What what do you not love about Corey Connors? Right, we were very quick to, we were very quick to forgive him for 
that missed cut that he had where he lost like yeah four strokes on approach at the PGA Championship. He gains eight at the Memorial. Boom, we're back, baby. Look at this. Look at this stretch of golf. Uh, and I'm talking about with the putter from Corey Connors. He has gained strokes putting. Corey Connors has gained strokes putting in one, two, three, four, five of his last eight. In the three that he's lost, he has never lost more than a stroke putting. So he is now... Since the Players' Championship, which was three months ago, he's a positive putter. Actually, if you go back even further than that, you go back to the start of the season, he's basically a positive putter, right? That's really good, tangible gains for a guy that I know, little little, little inside tip here, he's been out at St. George's last couple weeks. He's been out there. He's been getting his practice reps in, uh, just awesome off the tee. Like, every, like, let's go. Corey Connors, he's probably going to be popular. I completely get it. The last guy here is Terrell Hatton, who, um, you know, I think it's worthy of a deep dive because we don't spend a lot of time talking about him. And I think this might be a a little bit of a better setup for him. Um, So he is $9,500. My concern is his accuracy off the tee. If he can keep it in play, I think you get a guy who generally hits his long irons very well and can putt really well. And he's basically a positive across the board. You know, this is actually his worst driving season of his career. And it's really because he's just missing a ton of fairways. He's just he's just playing out of the rough much too often. So that does concern me. Um, but you start looking at some of the other places, like TPC Potomac. He finished T37, gained three strokes off the tee there. You've got to be exact there off the tee. RBC Heritage worries me. Loses 3.6 strokes off the tee there. You've got to be exact there. So it's like, oh boy, um, what version of Terrell Hatton are we going to get? If we get the one that drives it well, I think we get a guy who probably finishes inside the top 15, which is kind of what he's been what he's been up to um, fairly often in in this year. So I'm, I'm I'm quite optimistic, and I think I don't think anybody's rushing to 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 fire Terrell Hatton into their lineups, especially if if Corey Connors is the most popular guy here in the nine thousand dollar range. I think Hatton ends up being a pretty a pretty fair pivot, and you're just hoping that he finds a week where he hits more fairways than usual, which is not entirely out of the realm of possibilities, especially if he clubs down maybe a little bit. Maybe he can take three wood in some spots. I don't know. We'll see, but I, I don't I don't hate that. Um the rest of the 9K range, it's fine. You know, I'm kind of warming on Tara, uh, on, on Tony Finau long-term. Uh, I think Adam Hadwin, for as good as he's been this year, will be too popular because he's going to get the Canadian narrative. He's going to get the 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 ace narrative from from last week, which I know is funny, but it's it's true. I think he'll be a little bit more popular than he should be. We'll see, especially on the uh, the Wednesday live chat, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel. We'll have ownership projections. We'll have all that stuff. My assumption is Adam Hadwin is going to be very popular or at least more popular than he should be. The rest of the 9K, it's fine. You know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty big Chris Kirk fan, pretty big Keith Mitchell fan in general. Um, I think it's fair. Uh, before we jump into the 8K range, I wanted to do a couple of things. Uh, I wanted to look at a couple of, of trends or, or whatever. Uh, and I also want to remind you to subscribe, hit the like button, all that fun stuff. Let's start with the Holy Grail. We'll go to the stats. We'll go. To, I want to look at sand saves. I, I think this is going to be important. These are just microscopic greens, and the greens are incredibly protected with bunkers. So I, I think this is going to be a factor this week. Justin Thomas, number one in this field, fourth overall this season. Mike Weir is number two. That's probably like one event, quite honestly. Ryan Armour, Matt Fitzpatrick, David Hearn. Then you get to Wesley Bryan. There's that Shane Lowry guy again. 
I like the bottom of that 10K range. Adam Hadwin, Patrick Reed, Roy McElroy also on the list. So you can scroll through this. Check this out at, at, at rickrungood.com. The worst guys, let's just do that too. The worst guys, and actually I'll do it this way. Um, whoops, sorry. Uh, the worst guys are like Satoshi Kodaira, uh, Cam Champ. I'm trying to find some notables here. Some of these guys are just like the worst players in the field. Let me find some notables here towards the bottom of the list. Oof. Uh, Poston, Fratelli, these guys aren't really all that notable. Justin Rose is 137th. Uh, boy. Who would be the first guy that would... Finau, okay, Finau would be like the first guy we're super willing to play. He's he's like 50%. He's ranked 101st. Cam Smith, actually not great out of bunkers, 95th. Um, Corey Connors is, isn't particularly great either, so his path is going to be hit a lot of fairways. So um, that's one way to look at it. The other, the other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to go to, uh, I wanted to stay here on the Holy Grail, and I wanted to do small greens. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to plug in square footage of greens. Actually, I think I have a button for it. I do small greens. So this is basically like less than uh, tour average. I think it's 5,000 square feet or smaller is the way that I define small. And then what I'll do is I'll just look at like the last five years. I don't want to go back too far because again, if you start there's other things I could do that for, but when you start doing that, you get a situation where, you know, Matt Kuchar is the best player all the time, or like Jason Day, or, you know, Justin Rose is the best player. So let's just go back to the last five years on small greens. The number one player, oh boy, Roy McElroy, 89 rounds, 1.72, Patrick Reed. Okay, so that so 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 that also kind of tracks as well. Patrick, you know, why is Patrick Reed gaining 1.3 strokes per round on small greens? It's it's not because he's an elite iron player. It's because he's an elite around the green player. So look at this. Even on these even on these courses, you can see he's only gaining uh, 0.2 strokes on approach, but he is gaining a half a stroke around the greens and four tenths of a stroke putting. Because that that is how he's making it up, almost a full stroke in the sh- in the short game categories uh, on courses with small greens. Scotty Scheffler's up there. Uh, did I mention Justin Rose? Justin Rose, Scotty Scheffler, Tony Finau, Shane Lowry. Those are the only guys who are gaining a stroke or more per round on small greens. Then you get to Justin Thomas and Matt Fitzpatrick and Sam Burns and Harold Varner the third. Maybe Varner just uh, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe this, I mean, it would not be the worst spot in the world for him to win. It wouldn't be, but boy, it's a little bit scary. Corey Connors kind of up there as well. 116 rounds, gaining a half a stroke per round, Terrell Hatton. So this is kind of a really fun way to look at it. If you do come and sort it by this way, um, note the guys that do it via the ball striking and note the guys that do it via the short game. I mean, look at Justin Thomas, right? On these small greens, he's a loser in the short game categories, primarily with the putter, but he's you know, a little bit better than average around the green, but look at the ball striking gains 1.2 strokes in the ball striking category. So his path on small greens is never miss a green, right? That's JT's path. It's, it's really fun to kind of look at it, um, to look at it that way. So when you go back to the 8k range, there were a couple of names that popped up there, right? Patrick Reed, Justin Rose Reed, you know, Reed was very popular last week at the Memorial. I actually think Maybe this week and next week, the U.S. Open are probably two better spots for him. I, I told you guys I've only made I've made two bets up to this point for the U.S. Open, um, which I probably could have waited, but 
I, I just was thinking about it and I just went and bet it anyway. So I bet Patrick Reed and I bet Daniel Berger before last week. So I think that Berger number has gotten shorter because he played well at the Memorial. And Patrick Reed, I, I haven't seen what his number has done. But um, those are two guys that I think set up fairly well for, for the country club. So I, I like kind of the next two weeks for Patrick Reed. Um, and then you kind of look at, you know, Johnny Vegas is here. He's 8,500. He's won this event twice, but never at this golf course, obviously. And, you know, played well at the Memorial except for his final round. So if you go back and look at this, so let's just do everybody in this field for the first three rounds last week. Johnny Vegas gained, he was one, two, three, four, fourth in strokes gained total for Johnny Vegas through the first three rounds. Round four was not good. Round four was 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 really not good for Johnny Vegas. It was one of the worst rounds out there. Yeah, he lost 6.7 strokes to the field, the fourth worst mark of anybody out there. But it's not like other guys didn't shoot bad scores. Cam Young shot an 84. Cam Young has been a dominant shot an 84. So, I, I, again, one round never does it for me, especially considering he lost nearly five strokes putting. Uh, he actually gained strokes on approach in the final round, <laughs> lost five putting. That doesn't bother me, and I think that maybe the T37 does not really tell the full story of how good Johnny Vegas was for the vast majority of last week. Rasmus Hoygaard is back. Um, let me pull up his golfer profile here because he's a 21-year-old Dane who plays primarily on the DP World Tour. Now, he has not missed a cut, I believe, this entire calendar year. Let me just confirm that. Anywhere in the world, yes. His last missed cut was the Shriners in Las Vegas in October. So he has played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten events since then. Hasn't missed the cut. He's got two top 16 finishes in his last three starts on the DP World Tour. He's played two of those PG during that stretch, two PGA Tour events. Uh, Corral's Punta Cana, he finished sixth. And Valero, Texas Open, he finished T18. Very good putting week that week, which is a little bit unsustainable. But I like to see the two good finishes there um, coming over and playing. And he's and he's used to playing the weekend. He's a very good, talented, raw golfer that I think we're going to learn a lot more about in the coming years. Okay, so we've had a couple of drop-offs here, right? We're in the 7K range now. And I feel like the field has dropped off once, it's maybe dropped off another time, and now we're kind of here to the 7K range. And uh, there's a lot of names. It's our first massive range. And I want to just try to start figuring out the best players here. So there's a couple of different ways we can do this. We can just one sort the uh, the cheat sheet here, which is what I love about this. So like just go purely strokes gain total over the last 24 rounds or whatever number of rounds you want. Aaron Rye, number one. Shouldn't be that much of a surprise. David Lipsky, number two. Start to look at how they're doing it though. Um, and for Rye and Lipsky, they lose distance off the tee, but they gain fairways. That's pretty good. I think this week I'd much prefer that as opposed to Dean Burmeester, who uh, didn't isn't Dean Burmeester playing in live? He shouldn't be in this field on DraftKings. Am I right about that, or is that a rumor? Let me let me confirm this field real quick. Okay, he is not in the live golf field, so I guess he is still in this. Field. I don't I don't know if that was a rumor that I heard or 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 what, but. Um, I thought Burmeester was going. But anyway, my, my point being, I prefer the fairways gained side of things. Like, if we can only have one, I'd prefer the fairways gained and lose a little bit of distance than be a big bomber like Burmeester, but spray it and lose, you know, 8% of, of the fairways, right? So um, I, I, I kind of like the way that Rye and Lipsky are doing it 
as well. And you can see it's kind of turning into turning into some results. So we can we can look through it uh, that way. Strokes gain total. The other way that I would kind of want to look through it. Um, well, I mean, we could just do. Oh boy, um, there's so many things we could do. We could do like I kind of want to look at the trends too. See who's kind of hot. So this is how to look at golfers against their baseline. So JT Poston, very, very hot right now. He's gaining over his last 24 rounds, a stroke per round to his 100 round baseline. And he's doing it in a pretty good way. Strokes gained approach a little bit with the putter. That's not a surprise. JT Poston, generally very good putter. That's a good sign. Who else in this 7K range? Peter Malnati, but he's doing it almost exclusively via the short game categories. In fact, he's actually losing on approach to his 100 round baseline. That's a bit of a concern. Uh, who else in the 7Ks? Champ is here. Again, the majority of those gains coming via the putter. That's not great. Scott Piercy's probably doing it in the best way, uh, almost exclusively in the two ball striking categories. Let's deep dive Piercy. That that trend line deserves a bit of a uh, a bit of a deeper dive here. Scott Piercy, what have you been up to? What have you been up to? Uh, missing cuts. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of classic. Classic Piercy. When Piercy's at his best, he gains strokes on approach and gives them back and then some with the putter, which is kind of what we're seeing. So even though he's and, and okay, and this is a little bit inflated because he's gaining approach to his 100 round baseline, but that includes all of these horrible starts, which aren't really on brand for Scott Piercy. So he's coming out of like a horrible stretch, isn't. Yeah, that that looks a bit like fool's gold, actually, and it's not even turning into it's not even turning into uh, great results. He's missed a ton of cuts, so that is a little bit of fool's gold. That's why we that's why we deep dive this. What else we got here? Just in the seven K range, Adam Long. Yeah, Adam Long's been really good, gaining a stroke almost via the the tee to green categories. Okay, he also popped up on the cheat sheet as well when we were looking through. So uh, Adam Long was here, sixth best player in this field over the last twenty four rounds out of the seven K range. So that's that's exciting too. And he's a, and he's a, a an accurate player. He's an accurate player. There was something else about Long. Where else did I see Long? Oh, I bet it was over here. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. This is jock market. This is stock market DFS. So Adam Long, despite not I mean, he's missed three cuts and he's got a couple of top 25 finishes, a couple of top 35 finishes, which is not winning you a whole lot in other places. He's he's won you money in 60% of his cash markets in his last 10. His average IPO, $3.75 a share. His average payout closer to $4 a share. So it's like an 11% ROI. It's not making you rich, but it's making you, it's better than the market. Um, and you can see here are the payouts from last week. So Aaron Wise, who did not win the golf tournament, was $5 a share last week in the IPO, finished at $20 a share. So you made 15 bucks a share on a guy who lost the golf tournament by what, four strokes? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's what I like about, that's what I like about uh, jock market here. Um, Joe Idoni and myself, we do a, a power hour every Wednesday night, 8.15. Uh, if you want to join us, it's the final bidding process or you can go bid now. Use the code Rick. There's a link in the description. You'll get a deposit bonus, but uh, only place in the world where Adam Long is uh, a big time, a big time mover. I love that. There was also something about Pat Perez, wasn't there? What did I like about Pat Perez? Let's look up Pat Perez. Uh, Pat Perez popped up in like my early research for this event. Let's go look, take a look. I think he's just been much better recently. So, okay. 
All right. Yeah, I get it. So he's gained strokes on approach in one, two, three of his last four, four of his last six. He's been awesome around the green, which is kind of a, a worry most of the time. But here where little baby greens, uh, you're gonna need to you're gonna need to play from around the green often. Perez is coming off a T12, a T26. He hasn't missed a cut in five starts. He's missed one cut since Phoenix. So he's like nine for his last 10, something like that. That's not bad. That's not bad. Let's get, um, what's his, what's his driving situation? Losing distance and gaining the tiniest bit in fairways. I could live with that. Uh, Pat Perez, not, not so bad either. Let's do the 6k range here and I'll just keep it sorted in this way. And then we can kind of find guys, um, in the, in when we do the custom model as well. So, uh, this is last 24 rounds sorted by strokes gain total. And we got some small sample size stuff here. Like Mike Weir's number one. That's he's probably got four. I mean, his last 24 rounds is probably goes back a long time. Um, Adam Shank would be the first guy. We were one week early on Shank, right? He was min priced min priced. Love him. Loved him in Fort worth. Misses the cut. Although he played well, one of the days he played well Friday, I think. Missed the cut on the number. And then, of course, last week, much more difficult field, much harder golf tournament, much harder course. Uh, he finishes 26th. <laughs> and I actually think, let me look this up. Shank was on the weekend, I think it was the weekend, was really, really good. Yeah, he was. Okay. So over the weekend, Adam Shank uh, was the one, two, three, had the fourth best score over the weekend. Adam Shank. How about that? So maybe we maybe we go back to him. So 26th at Memorial, 41st at the PGA Championship, 9th at the Wells Fargo. Those are his highlighted finishes here recently. Uh, it's now $6,900. I guess I'm going back to it, right? We we were early, we whiffed, then we didn't we weren't on him last week. I think I got to go. I think I got to go back to the guy. What else do we have here? Uh, a lot of guys with small sample sizes. A lot of guys with small sample sizes, but. I bet you we can find somebody of note here. I bet you we can. How about Oh, maybe we can't actually. It's a very Is this a very top heavy field? Let's do let's sort it by fantasy points gained. Scott Brown he hasn't played. Shanks still no Luke okay. I mean boy. Oh boy. Let's deep dive Luke Donald. That's a phrase I th never thought I'd say. Luke Donald on a golf course where accuracy reigns supreme. 191st in distance off the tee, 129th in accuracy. That's not great. But he's 12th in strokes gained approach. Wow, he can still whip it. He can still whip it on approach. Man, look at this. He's just going to lose a ton of strokes off the tee. He's been great on approach. They're around the. I mean, this isn't the worst thing I've ever seen. He's got, uh, he's made one, two, three, four, five of his last eight cuts. He sprinkled in a T16, a T25 in there. Those are his best finishes. Ah, it's not great. This is like a jock market guy, right? This is a jock market guy because you're going to get him for a couple of bucks a share. And if he finishes T25 or T26, he wins you a ton of money there. And he, but like, he's not going to win you anything on DraftKings and he's not going to win you a bet. But he's playing better than I than I originally anticipated. He's also the same price as Adam Shank. How, how could you how could you go with with Donald over Shank there? How could you? How could you? Wow, this is a really bad six thousand dollar range. Wyndham Clark, I, no, this is a bad. This is this is really sour. Wow, guys. Okay, well maybe we can uncover some more 
in the custom model. Let's go over there and run one. Custom model, rickrungood.com. This is, oh, and actually, if you notice, these buttons at the top are back. Download parameters, upload parameters. Uh, I took those away because the tool had started to save itself and all that. It was just a, I thought it was a good idea. I didn't realize how many people use that. And what you can do is you can download everything, make your updates. You can import any value that you want now to to uh, to optimize off of. So if you have some crazy calculation that you want or whatever, just go ahead and put it in. Um, all right. So I liked what I did last week. And what I did last week is I just kind of covered the four main areas but I wasn't necessarily tied into strokes gained approach. I could use it if I wanted to, but like I could have used proximity. Um, so I kind of like that. It helped me think through it. So let's try that again. Last 24, last 20, let's try 20, last 20 rounds. Okay. So all, so for, for the driving categories, let's say, uh, I don't think distance is, is critical. Let's say, 10 on distance, 20 on accuracy. So that's 30 weights on the driving categories. Then for approach, we could do proximities. So what I'll actually do, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to just put like 10 on 175 to 200, 10 on 200 plus there's flaws with this, but like, I, I do think there's going to be some, well, yeah, some longer shots. No, no, no. Let's do, let's do 10 on 175 to 200 and another 15 on strokes gained approach. There's a little bit of an overlap there, obviously, but that gives us 25 weights on approach play. Uh, we could also do like par three scoring since there's five of them, but otherwise, okay. So then for around the green, let's do, which I think is going to be kind of important. These are small greens, right? Let's do 15 on sand saves. And then like 10 around the green. Again, you see what I'm getting at here? There's obviously overlap, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find the right combination of, of, of weighing things. And then putting, uh, let's just do tw- the, the final 20 on strokes game putting and call, call it a day, right? We could have done, we could have done par three scoring. There's five of them, something like that. But anyway, this is what we're going to do. And our number one golfer is, wow, Justin Thomas, JT, probably no surprise, right? He's been great across the board. Cam Smith, number two. Lowry, three. I'm going to have a lot of Lowry this week, I think. Munoz is four. Munoz is four. Corey Connors, five. Matt Fitzpatrick, six. HV3, seven. HV3 will burn me for sure. I will avoid I will avoid HV3, and he will win this thing. McElroy, Hadwin, Scheffler round out my top 10. Love that Lowry's in there. Love that Connors is in there. Love that Fitzpatrick is in there. Hate that Varner's in there. Hate that Hadwin's in there. Pat Perez, who is $7,600, is 16th. He is the first guy under 8900 and he's 7600 That's noteworthy. Wow. Very interesting. Where's my other 10K guys? Very far down the list. Wow. Oh, no, sorry. I sc- I scanned right past them. Uh, Burns is 10,000. He's 12. So all the 10K guys, I think, are in the top 12. I'm an idiot. Sorry. I was like, I, I don't know what I was looking for. I'm an idiot. Um, wow. Okay, that was fun. Well, more to come. More to come. 
Wednesday live chat, Tuesday live show betting with, with Andy, uh, Wednesday night, jock market power hour. Lots of fun. I'm sure there'll be us open stuff this week. Lots of fun stuff. So I encourage you to subscribe. I encourage you to comment. I encourage you to tweet at me at Rick run. Good. Best of luck this week. I'll talk to you guys soon.